following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament. We are going to look at chapter 10 and 11 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and 11. You guys doing all right this morning? Man, it's sunshine, and I like that. I can get get on board with that. Let me tell you what. We're going to jump right into this. because we kind of need to get a running start of where we're at here in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Um, so let's look at the first five verses and see if we can get kind of a little bit of a, an idea of, of where we're at and where we're going. So at that time, the Lord said to me, cut yourself. He's talking to Moses here, by the way. Moses is our author of Deuteronomy. He says, cut yourself, for yourself, two tablets of stone like the first <laughs> And come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. Verse 2. And I will write on the tablets, this is God speaking to Moses, the words that were on the first tablets that you broke. Sometimes you break God's stuff, right? Anyone? All right. Anyway. (laughs) You shall put them in the ark. And so I made an ark out of acacia wood. I cut two tablets of stone like the first, went up to the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And as he wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before the Ten Commandments, that's the Decalogue, that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly that the Lord gave them to me. Now, all of this stuff happened in Exodus. And here we find ourselves in Deuteronomy. It's almost like the people need a redo. Anybody need a redo? Look at your neighbor say, I need a redo. Then, verse 5. I turned and came down. It's always awkward for people that aren't sitting next to anybody else. It looks like you're talking to yourself. That's okay. And then Moses, I turned down and came down from the mountain, put the tablets in the ark that I had made, and there they are, as the Lord had commanded me. What's going on here? Remember, Moses broke the first tablets of the law for two reasons. Number one, it was anger because the people had sinned. It is okay, church, to be mad when sin transpires. Amen? It is totally fine for you to have a righteous anger. That's what the New Testament talks about, righteous anger when a sin is transpired. Moses has a righteous anger. Second reason is he's illustrating how Israel broke God's laws in Exodus chapter 32. God says these need to be restored, and so we get two new tablets He tells Moses, make an ark out of wood, just like in Exodus 25, to hold both of those tablets, which will be in connection to the future worship, where the people will gather together and worship God in this new place. In other words, what God is doing for Moses is, he's saying, Moses, in order to get right with me, you have to be centered on my word. Church, in order for you to be right with God... You have got to be centered on his word. It has to be impressed in your hearts. 
Now, then chapter 10 pauses, right? And then verse 6 all the way to verse 11, you have a parenthetical. Parenthetical is this, by the way, for those of you that don't know what it is. makes you sound really smart when you say parentheticals. Parentheticals is the thing before the D and after the 11, okay? It's a parenthetical. And what was going on here is that there's a parenthetical insert when Israel was at Morsha where Aaron died. Now, Aaron's death is super important, and like I said, we're getting a running start of the text here. We're just kind of jumping in. Aaron's death is important because it indicates that the people needed in the Old Testament a priestly sacrifice and an intercession to get right with God after they rebelled. Sin had transpired. Because sin had transpired, they went to the priest because they're too scared to go to God because they saw what God did. The priest gives intercession and then they see that because of that intercession, there's a need for sacrifice and for blessing. So Israel goes to the priest, he gives sacrifice, he gives intercession, and he gives blessing. All Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament points to the reality of our great high priest, Jesus, who intercedes on our behalf to the Father. When you pray, Heavenly Father, you are allowed to talk to God because you have faith in Jesus Christ. If you do not have faith in Christ, it is debatable on whether or not God even hears that prayer. So when we get to the Levitical priesthood, we realize this is a shadow of the great high priest to come. If you refuse priestly mediator, Jesus, then you perish. It's just the, the, the Bible just kind of lays it all out there. To reject Jesus, the great high priest, is to reject God. So then look at verse 6. Aaron's third son, this guy, his name's Eliezer, he becomes the high priest. And then all these responsibilities are given in relation to tabernacle worship. And this all sets us up. This is that running start for the rest of chapter 10 and chapter 11. Moses starts to speak to the people. He starts to communicate to them about his time on the mountain where he spent time with God, where he fasted, where he interceded on their behalf. And he says, this is what God requires. This is not just an Old Testament truth. It is for us too today as well. This, what we see in the text, Deuteronomy 10, 12, all the way to Deuteronomy eleven twenty two, is what the Lord requires. This is exactly what what the Lord requires. And everybody asks this, right? There's two questions that everybody asks. Who am I and why am I here? Who am I as a person and why am I here? I will answer that for you. You are here because God created you to be here and your purpose in Matthew 28 is to evangelize the lost and edify the found. It all stems down to that. So there, here we go. All right, verse 12. First thing. The first thing you need that the Lord requires is a circumcised heart. Israel demonstrated just how impossible it was to do things on their own. Are you with that? Are you get on board with that? Like, I feel like sometimes I don't need to prove my sinfulness to God. He already knows it. He is very aware of my shortcomings. It's in the text we see a history of spiritual pride from Israel. The downfall of every believer in the New Testament is pride. It all comes back to pride. So Moses says the only way that you can overcome this pride and survive is to be totally committed to the Lord in the following ways. This is how you circumcise your heart. So let's just take a little quiz this morning. I'm going to ask you how you're doing in this, and then I'll take it too as well. How about that? I'll jump in with you. All right? He says the first thing that you're supposed to do in verse 12 is to fear the Lord. 
to have a reverent attitude towards God, not the type of fear that you shrink back, but that it question, you, make, you, you, you question your decisions that you make because you know that the Lord is God. So he says the first thing that you have is a fear of the Lord. Now, in order to have a proper fear of the Lord, you confess your sins, Romans chapter 10, and you turn from those sins, you repent of those sins, and you trust Jesus Christ as Savior. So the start of fearing the Lord is coming into a relationship with the Lord through faith and trust in Christ. Then you get obedient. Obedience is an outcome of what happens when you trust Christ. One of the first acts of obedience, anybody know, is, starts with a B, baptism. If we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, we run to the water to identify with Jesus. We say, it is no longer I who lives, it is Christ who lives in me, and I want you to see that. People, even in the Old Testament, were baptized into showing people who they followed. The first act was always obedience. We just saw a movie It's talking about a revolution that took place in the 70s. And it was interesting, in that revolution, people ran to the water to show that they identified with Christ. In our generation today, we have people that are scared of the water. Jump in that water. It is good. Because it shows that you not only love the Lord, but you want to walk in His ways. In the last part of verse 12, it says, When you are obedient to the Lord, you are demonstrating your love to Him. Same is true for us married folk, right? Like, you talk about your spouse in a positive way. You talk about them in a way that builds them up. We could see demonstrated love by how you speak and how you serve them. So you fear the Lord. You come into a relationship with Him. You're obedient to His ways. That's our word of the year. You serve Him. You love Him. Not just halfway. God doesn't want 50%. God wants 100%. God wants all of us. He wants every single one of us all in, and that means by keeping his commands and statutes. So how are you doing in that, right? A little Holy Spirit conviction right there, okay? Now, verse 13 really partners well with James chapter 4, verse 7. And in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do, and then you don't do it. This is both in the sense of possessing it in ourselves and in the sense of protecting it. Now, if you're an Israelite and you're living in that time period, you would say, why is this important? For us as believers today, we look at that and we say, okay, I see that. I acknowledge that with my mind mentally. But what does it look like to live that out? And more importantly, why should I live that out? Well, according to verse 14, it says, Behold, the Lord your God Belong in heaven and the heavens of heaven and the earth with all that is in it. The Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. That you above all people as you are this day circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, the great, mighty, awesome God, who is not partial, who takes no bribe, who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner and gives him food and clothing. In other words, he has given us every command for our good. The discipline of God is welcomed and accepted because all those things are for our 
good. God's commands given to you are never given so that he can exercise his power or feel more important. Some of you grew up in horrible homes. I understand that. You had horrible fathers. I get that. Some of you had great fathers. You should praise the Lord for that. But we have to understand that God's ways are not our ways. And even if our our earthly fathers were great representations of God or not great representations of God, God is not our earthly father. He is our heavenly father. And every command God makes is with our best interest in mind, even if you don't understand it. So you're here this morning. You're thinking to yourself, I don't know what God's doing in my life. You should say, good. It is a great thing that you don't understand what God's doing. That means there takes an element of faith. You have to remember that the Lord is not a part of creation. He is sovereign over his creation. Meaning since it's God's universe and he owns all the nations of earth, he is in control of those things. Now look at verse 15. Deuteronomy specifically says that God loved the patriarchs, Israel's fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And he chose their descendants and called them to be his witnesses. So the first reason that Israel was to love the Lord was that he initiated the relationship of love with a rebellious nation. The same is true for us, church. That we love the Lord because he initiated a relationship of love with us rebellious people. That is the same principle that is true of God's relationship with believers today. Look at Romans chapter 5, 8. But God showed his great love. In other words, God extending to us his love, seeking our best, sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says this is real love, not emotional love. This is, this is God choosing us because we didn't love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, all of us who've grown up in church, we read these passages of scripture and we say, well, no, duh. That means you have an intellectual knowledge of God like Israel, but you do not have true heart transformation. Heart transformation comes when you let that information seep into your heart and change your ways through obedience. That's when the circumcision of the heart happens. That's the removal of the things of the world that has a grip on your heart. Now, verse 16, the response to what God required was to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. All Israelite males had to be circumcised eight days after their birth. Minor surgery that serves as a symbol of a heart God wanted. God loves symbols, doesn't he? Like they're so big, they're so important to him. You got bread, you got wine, you got this, <laughs> you got baptism. An uncircumcised or unrepentant heart was against God's commands. That's verse 12 and 13. But a circumcised or repentant heart is one that faithfully submitted to God's laws and desires. It had internal transformation. Church, where is your heart? Because I think many of us would look at it and we would say, well, I have a circumcised heart. And maybe that happened the day of your salvation. Maybe that's true. Maybe you made a declaration of faith. You trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You repented of that sin, and you were free. And maybe some of you even got baptized in this church. You came up those steps. You went into the water, and then you came down. And then all of a sudden, 
it's like the things of this world started creeping back in and attaching themselves to your heart like a parasite. And you just kind of allowed it to happen. And then we have this slow, steady backsliding that has happened and transpired, and our hearts are covered with the sands of this world. And so here's what happens. Human hearts are naturally rebellious. They naturally need correction. They're naturally slow to change. If you want an example, look at Adam and Eve in the garden. But we also note that Deuteronomy says no bribe can satisfy our Lord. He is, look at verse 17, our great and mighty and awesome God who wants to show up in the daily parts of our life to remove that sand, to uncover a true heart, but that has to be welcomed. God shows no partiality. He simply desires Israel and us today to live as if he is the object of our desire. Let me just ask you a question. This past week, was God the object of your desire? Was your heart set and bent on serving him with all that you think, say, and do? Now, so many of us would look at that and we'd say, well, of course not. I went, I went, I went off. I, I, I didn't do the things I was supposed to do. Well, that's where forgiveness comes in and daily repentance Now, we see this passage through New Testament eyes. We see every Old Testament passage through New Testament eyes. Isn't it great that we didn't live back here? Like, I do not want to get up every single Sunday and just slaughter a bull for you. That would be, like, just an awkward endeavor for me, and I'm glad we live in New Testament times. You don't want to see it. I don't want to do it. We're good, right? So the obedience God calls us to is always set in the context of what he did on the cross, Our service and obedience to God is always based off what he has done for us. It is a grateful response to his goodness. So change your mindset this week. Can you do that for me? It is not a legalistic approach to God that if I do this, then surely you'll love me more. And if I don't do this, you'll love me less. God cannot love you any more or less than he already does in Jesus Christ. But when we look at it, we say, no, I want to do this as a grateful response to his goodness. I want to love my spouse as a grateful response to his goodness. I want to love my kids as a grateful response to his goodness. And some of you look at it and say, that's impossible. I can't do that. And God's applauding that. He's like, you can't. But you can with my help. And you can if I fill you with the Holy Spirit. If there is a lack of obedience for you as a believer... If there is a lack of reverence for you as a believer, it is almost always from a lack of appreciation for what God has done for you. We always obey the more we are aware of what the Lord has done. Look at verse 21. Back up just a second. Verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. That's a proper adoration of God. Not like this dictator who constantly beats me over the head. No, it is the adoration of God. You serve him, you hold fast to him, and by his name you swear. Not like a bad swear. This is is you taking God's name upon yourself. Verse 21, he is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things and your eyes have seen. That means, ready for this church? That means that person at work who is a pain to deal with, you love them like Jesus as an act of worship. That means your spouse who never does the dishes, who never folds the laundry, who comes in the house and sits down, you love them like Jesus because you're giving them mercy and grace, the same mercy and grace that you have received. That person who constantly irritates you, who constantly just eggs you on, you look at it and you say, no, 
This is what God has done. If God is the object of your praise, the problems of this world slowly fade away. Any wisdom, any beauty, any skill we show is not our praise, but God's praise. But that can only come from a circumcised heart. And God is telling Israel here, circumcise your heart, check your ego, change your attitude by fearing me and following my ways. Make sure that you're loving me first, and then I'll show you how to love other people. Make sure that you're serving me with all your heart and soul, and I will show you what true love and obedience looks like, and I will show you how great it is to have those boundaries of discipline around you. Okay, so that's chapter 10. First thing that God requires, circumcise your heart. Now, look at verse, chapter 11, verse 1. <clears throat> you shall, therefore, knowing these things, you shall love, that's the agape love. Agape love is good love. Agape love is the choice, right? It's the highest form of love. Who do I love? You should love your God. Not other people's God. You should love your God. And you should keep his charge and his statutes and his rules and his commandments. Now, what we like to do is we like to look at the text and we like to exegete the text instead of exegete the text. Exegeting the text means you look at the text and you say, I don't like that, so I'm going to change it. Okay? And you say, this is what this passage means to me. If you ever get in a Bible study where somebody asks, the leader asks, what does this passage of Scripture mean to you? You stand up and you leave. You don't need to be in that Bible study. If you exegete that passage, you say, you shall therefore love me, I'm my own God, keeping my charge, my statutes, my rules, my commandments always. Yes? That's American theology. To exegete the text says, I'm off in that, and I'm the one that needs to change, not God. So, I commit faithful love and service, conforming to the image of Christ, who is made in the image of God for us, as an act of worship, for he requires this. The ultimate test of an Israelite's love for the Lord was in whether or not he or she would obey the Lord. Same is true for us today. The ultimate test for the believers in Jesus Christ is whether or not we're going to obey Jesus or we're going to obey ourselves. The exact same commandment is in John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, obey what? My commandments. Not your commandments, obey my commandments. And so here we see that love is not an impulse. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And in Hebrew, it was a command to love God, which meant to choose God. And we either choose to love the Lord or we choose to love ourselves. We could give the Lord a hundred other things, but none of it matters unless we give him our agape love, the same love that he gave us. He's the object of our desire. Jesus says the same thing to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation chapter 2. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. May this never be said about our church, community gospel church, which really isn't our church, it's God's church. Jesus Christ is the head of our church. It's always funny when people are like, oh, I went to your church. I'm like, is Jesus' church? And we're just kind of governing it, okay, and trying really hard. He says, I have this against you. What? You have lost your first love. You have lost 
the fact that you choose God's ways over your own ways. You have chosen to love yourself and the things that you serve over the love of God. A real love for the Lord always translates into obedience. Two ways. Number one, verse two. Obedience through discipline. You should welcome discipline always. Israel's history is guided by God for the sole purpose of motivating them to love him completely. Now, let's just walk through this text. You can read it, and I'll explain it at the same time. I, I, it's, it's possible. You can read and hear somebody talk if, if you don't just ask any mom in our church. They do it all the time. In verse 2, look at the discipline of the Lord. God was the teacher, and he educates the people. He sends Israel to school in three ways. Number one, in verse three through four, he sends them to school in Egypt so they might learn of his power and respond with grateful obedience for deliverance from Pharaoh. Does that happen to you? Has God ever taken you to school so that you might learn of his power and respond with grateful obedience? Has he ever taken you into a low place so that you might have a higher praise? Number two, verse five. In the desert for 40 years, he takes Israel to school to learn dependence upon him for all their needs. How many times have you ever been to a place and say, can't get much worse? That's exactly what's going on here. God comes when it can't get much worse. Then in verse, uh, let's see, at the end, 6 and 7, in the rebellion of Daoth and Abram, In Numbers chapter 16, we learn about God's holiness. If it wasn't for Moses' intercession, God would have put an end to the entire nation. If it wasn't for Christ's intercession, God would have put an end to you as a person. You ever think about that? You ever mind around that? That's, That's like amazing. So we remember that God takes us to school sometimes to give us some lessons, and you either reject that discipline and receive even more frustration, or you welcome that discipline, and you say, surely it is good for God to discipline me so that I can learn to obey him more. Remember, God's discipline isn't always positive. If you were to go back in Exodus, (laughs) the people learned about God's grace and power in some crazy ways. In the desert, they learned of his care. And though they saw it, look at verse seven, all saw it, all the great works of the Lord that he did. I think this is a great uh, reason why you and I need prayer journals. I think you need an actual journal, not a phone, not on an, an app or anything like that. Like you need an actual pen and paper journal where you pray through things every day. And then once a month you go back in that prayer journal and you look at those things and you say, oh, there's where God worked. Oh, yep. That's where God worked. And then you should tell people about it. Because what happens is God does a great thing in our life, and then we get silent about it. We're like, I don't know if I should tell somebody that. That's kind of crazy. And God's like, I like crazy. I like you. So here we see that there is a responsibility. Now, mom and dad, I'm going to talk to you just for two seconds. Notice that this is the next generation going into the promised land. Anybody catch that? This This is the next generation. So what's happening here is, Moses is inadvertently telling parents that you are responsible to set an example of what obedient living looks like with your kids. In other words, if your kids are rebellious, they might be rebellious because you're rebellious. It is not the church's job to raise your kids. It is not the youth ministry to raise your kids. It's not the children's ministry to raise your kids. It is your responsibility to raise your kids. Those are all supplements. You're the meat. 
And so what he says here is he says, faithful love and service through your own personal discipline is caught just as much as it is taught. So mom and dad, the lessons that you're trying to teach your kids right now, they might not be catching it because it's not being modeled by you. I know it's really hard to hear. But, you know, when I was doing youth ministry, it was funny. We didn't see the parents a whole lot. And then all of a sudden the parents would pop in. And I was like, oh, that's why Timmy is like Timmy. Because Timmy's dad is like Timmy's dad. And so what he says is, he says, discipline happens first with you, and then it trickles down. Enough said on that, all right? Verse 8, faithful love and service through discipline, which sets you up for success. It should have been plain to the nation that experiencing God's grace or judgment depended upon their obedience, They could prosper in the new land simply by observing and obeying all God's commands. The strength of the Israelites was directly related to their obedience. Look at verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commands that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul. He will provide for all of your needs. The strength of the Israel, the Israelites was directly related to their obedience. And it would transfer over to conquer stronger enemies. Sometimes the enemy that you cannot overthrow is because your faith is small and your obedience is minimal. God always knows better than we do. And it takes obedience to trust him. God knew Canaan was more powerful. He knew their, their, their land was good. In verse 14, it talks about that a little bit. But God simply promised to provide for Israel if they chose to obey him and put him first. Now, where do you think Jesus gets Matthew 6 from? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's the same thing from Deuteronomy 11. Jesus is plagiarizing the text. And he's getting away with it because he wrote it. <laughs> so it's really not plagiarism. In verse 16, God calls Israel not just to read it, but to know it. And to treasure it. And in the same way, we should love God's word and miss the times when we are separated from it. This happens to me all the time. Last week, actually, it just happened to me. I had a bad day, and I was thinking to myself, man, why did I have such a bad day? Well, I knew I had a bad day because it was Wednesday. It was negative 50 degrees outside, and it was pouring down rain. I found myself here at the church, and a couple of people were standing there next to me, and I was staring at the, at the outside world. I was standing in the foyer, and they're like, what's wrong, Jordan? I said, this is how my insides feel right now. This is bad. This is horrible. And then I thought to myself, I did not spend time in God's word this morning. I did not spend time praying to the Lord this morning. I did not ask God to give me his eyes to see the world. I have a dear friend of mine who's dying right now. He doesn't know how much time he he has left on this earth. He told me the other day that the weatherman, um, he got mad at the weatherman. He almost threw something at his TV. He said, today is a garbage day. And he says, no, today is a glorious day because I am a child of God. God called Israel to treasure his word. 
we should call it to mind with longing, having laid it up in our hearts and our soul. Meditate on it. God's word should be the topic of all of our conversations as we can fairly measure our love for God's word by how much it spews out of our mouth. You talk about the things that you are passionate about. And when you start talking about the things of God, it shows your circumcised heart. God doesn't want us to have a secret love or a secret relationship with him and his word. He wants it to be public and always, always on display. Now look at verse 19 as we kind of close them. It says, you shall teach them to your children. You should be committed to know and obey God's word, keeping us from contemporary forms of false worship. The same thing in the last part of this text was what Paul said to the church of Colossae in chapter 3, verse 16. He said, I want you to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The people were to love the Lord, obey God's specific commands as an expression of their love for him. And then in return for their obedience, God would grant Israel a supernatural success against larger and stronger enemy armies. If Israel had continued to obey God faithfully, the boundaries would be enlarged to fulfill the promise that was made by Abraham. However, because Israel is disobedient, the fulfillment of the whole land is still in the future. So what does that mean for us? We get to this text and, and we look at this and we realize, like, for example, verse 22 says, Loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, holding fast to him. What if I disobey? What if I look at God and say, you know what? I want to try it out on my own. <laughs> First thing God would say is, how's that working out for you? How are you doing on your own? And the second thing he would say is, whenever we walk in disobedience, we are exalting ourselves against God. Declaring our rules, our standards, our desires are more important than his. Israel's disobedience lied in adultery. Or idolatry, adultery. I think we're kind of that too. Idolatry was the fact that they placed other things above God. And whenever we walk in disobedience, we exalt ourselves against God. Declaring our rules, our standards, our desires are more important than his. And God's response is circumcised your heart. Love and serve me more, and I'll free you from idols. So that's probably what we should pray for this morning. Heavenly Father, we like sheep have gone astray. And that's why we gather every single week, because it's like a reminder of that. As your people come and gather, we, we, we know that from last Sunday to this Sunday, we wandered a little bit. And there was a couple of times in our wandering that you even started yelling at us to come back. You looked at us and said, you've gone way too far. And some of us heard that correction and we came back to you. And then some of us find ourselves here and we're still wandering. And so we praise you that you're the God of the second, third, fourth, 500 chances. And we thank you for the fact that you restore us. If you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ. The first movement for you is to fear the Lord by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus died on the cross. His blood covers your sin. And a way to have a relationship with God is through trusting Christ. Confess your sin. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you will be saved. You'll be a child of God. <laughs> but Lord, many of us have done that. And the sands of this world have covered our hearts. 
And so we would ask this morning that you would just, through the power of the Holy Spirit, blow that sand off. And God, that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Reignite in us a passion for your word. Reignite in us a passion to pray and spend time with you. To spend time with your people. There are 40 days of worship that draw us closer to you as we prepare our hearts for Resurrection Sunday. There are places to populate within this church that conform us not to the image of this world, but conform us to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So may we, God, welcome those things in our life. May we welcome the things of you and not push those things off. And as an act of love and obedience to you, love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself, anyone who has a need in which we are able to meet. Speak now to us, God, as we sing some of your praises. Reveal unto us what you want us to do with the text, how we should live these truths out in our daily walk. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.